talk about a different learning environment and a different way to engage learners from kids to adults. So I will say that's probably my favorite part of all of this is how it's a different type of connection with someone. Welcome to Learning Unboxed, a conversation about teaching, learning, and the future of work. This is Annalise Corbin, Chief Goddess of the Past Foundation and your host. We hear frequently that the global education system is broken. In fact, we spend billions of dollars trying to fix something that's actually not broken at all, but rather irrelevant. It's obsolete. A hundred years ago, it functioned fine. So let's talk about how we reimagine, rethink, and redesign our educational system. Welcome to today's episode of Learning Unboxed. I am, as always, extremely excited about the conversation that we're going to be able to have today uh, because we're going to be talking about something called the WOSU Classroom. And joining us today is Amy Palermo, who is the Chief of Content for Education at WSU Public Media, where she leads a team of educators dedicated to helping children learn. And Amy began her educational career in Texas, where she perfected the poetic application of y'all, near and dear to my heart, also growing up in Texas, um, and developed the love of sweet tea, so not me. But Amy, we're going to take you anyway, despite your penchant for sweet tea. You're so kind. So thank you so much for joining us today. Absolutely. Thanks for having me. So uh, another little bit of context for our listeners. So Amy was also a middle school language arts teacher. She she wore lots of those teacher hats, like yearbook advisor, elementary school curriculum specialist, so on and so forth. And all of which I'm sure has influenced sort of the way she takes on her role at WOSU, in particular her role of thinking about and leading some of the work with a WOSU classroom. And so Amy, for our listeners, Let's first and foremost start with sort of the the hundred thousand foot view about what give give folks who don't know because our listeners come from all over the world. First and foremost, WOSU. What the heck is that? So WOSU is a public public media station. So we have radio stations, TV stations. We do all sorts of broadcasts, digital, and then we have classroom. Um, and classroom is my department. So kind of the Big view on that is education. We take kids from birth through 12th grade, and we have programs all along the way for kids, for caregivers, for families, for teachers. It's our goal to affect that kid from as many angles as we can and to have as many learning touch points as we can. So we're kind of that holistic um, organization of lifelong learners and classroom narrows in on the student. And so how long, because many public television, radio stations in and around the world, you know, have a variety of different sort of program lenses and opportunities, things that they feel like are really important. And one of the longstanding tenets of public broadcast is that although, yes, we all compete with each other for our listeners or our viewers, however you want to sort of think about that, we also try to be very complementary and to work very collaboratively and to have programming that's unique to us because, Mm -hmm. you know, we're trying to fill um, great needs in our community. And I would argue that the WOSU classroom in particular 
is really designed and suited to some pretty robust needs that happen in our local region. So talk with us just a little bit, Amy, about sort of the need, right, that this project fills, and then we'll get into the nuts and bolts about how you actually accomplish the work that you do. Sure. So um, we look at need from several lenses. But I think our goal, number one, as you stated, is to listen to the community. And our community, but we've got several different audiences when we're talking about the needs of families and the needs of educators. So we do that several ways. We've got advisory committees and a board there at WSU that helps. And just a whole network of caregivers that we listen to. So I'm a teacher, I'm a teacher at heart. Mm-hmm. I live and my whole team does to help others learn. And it's really important to us that whatever services we provide are needed and are equitable. I think that's another mm-hmm. big one mm-hmm. for us. And we're well positioned to complement any organization. So We have this huge service area. We have digital services that are around everywhere. We're a team of five. So our kind of philosophy is to pair our expertise with the expertise of others, be it other um, organizations or others in the community to kind of maximize those opportunities for our families and students and educators. Right. And I think that folks oftentimes forget, right, that in the midst of the day-to-day, what we think of as sort of a traditional school-based learning, right? And let's set that piece aside for a moment. You and I have had conversations about this notion of traditional learning, I know, you know, over the years. But but I want to but what I'm really trying to get at is the fact that I think that there's a fair number of folks that forget that it is very common, right, for families and children to engage in non-school-based or traditional-based content media mm-hmm. from a variety of sources. And so today, of course, some of that comes from, from the web, it comes from streaming, it comes from apps. And all of those sorts of components actually are part of the ecosystem, right, as public broadcasting in particular mm-hmm. is evolving, right? And so you're filling a much a need and you're also filling a gap because the reality is that even though we may fundamentally say, oh my gosh, you know, we need kids out in the world. The reality is kids still spend a tremendous amount of time absorbing and getting content from these types of sources. So you're, you, you are filling a need. Yeah. And we're very intentional, um, very intentional. You have our public broadcasting. We've got our television programming, which is also available now everywhere, streaming, Mm -hmm, you can get on the website. So it's programming that is fun, but it's also very intentional and very targeted at specific learning standards. So we're really trying to put learning. There's I say we hide it. It's secret. Mm -hmm. Um, Sometimes it's not, uh, but it's everywhere. And we look at it from different angles. So within the family unit. So our families, we spend a lot of time together. We're in the car Mm -hmm. together, running around the house, cooking dinner. Like what are those maybe unintentional 
opportunities to learn. So our programming is really looking at, I'll call it Mm non-traditional learning, but we do it all the time. We just kind of shine a light on it or give you ideas on how to improve or just make it more intentional. And I would also argue, you didn't say this, but having been a consumer for most of my life of some of this type of content as well, I would also say one of the things that, that you do and you do really well is you, you make, you, you, you make that content extremely engaging, right? So yes, it's intentional, but you know, as the, the consumer, I, I may, not know and I may not care what I what I know and care about is oh my gosh I I can't not watch or listen to this thing because it's so intriguing to me and, and my kids love it right yes and there's so much thought that goes behind that we yeah. know from research that that's our number one priority if if our learner I'll leave it very general be it yep. student or adult or family member parent grandparent if they're not engaged if what we're doing isn't interesting if it's not fun then then we've wasted a big portion of that opportunity mm-hmm. to make an impact so absolutely and thank you thank you for bringing that up because it's really important we have fun uh, at our job mm-hmm. uh, we love it And if we deliver some sort of event or training or activity that is not 100% engaging, then we've really missed the mark. So that's really, it's just, it's a, it's kind of that low hanging fruit, Mm -hmm. but you got to work hard to hit it. You do, you do. And so let's talk a little bit about working hard to hit it because um, we are fingers crossed for all of us, right? Coming in on the flip side of one of those events that happens on a global scale that we, you can prepare all you want and suddenly it's here and life as you know it suddenly doesn't work that way anymore. And, you know, there is no question um, from a global perspective that uh, this pandemic that we've all been working our way through has been a huge disruptor to education, mm-hmm. right? So no matter where you are, what part of part, part of the planet, sort of where you were when your, your academic cycle, we're hearing from all over that there are deep, deep and great concerns about how we, um, how we go back, but I would preface, let's not go back to what was, but let's right. go back to a new opportunity, whole another conversation. But the reason I bring that up is because like so many educational organizations, institutions, endeavors, the WSU classroom had to pivot. That's one mm-hmm. piece. But more importantly, I guess the, the the stress behind my question is, had the opportunity to pivot and do some quite remarkable things on behalf yeah. of our community as as a result. So let's talk about some of those things that suddenly you and the programming and the team were able to sure. do in a time that was really, really tough. Yeah. So I want to give a little background before we jump into how we pivoted. A big portion of our services revolve around educational technology. Mm -hmm. So we do um, a large amount of training for educators on how to use technology to improve learning. And this is something that we've done for years and Mm -hmm. we love and we're very passionate about technology 
um, can help level the playing field for different types of learners, different disabilities. It can um, personalize learning. I mean, it, uh, another show, I'm sure, yeah. I could talk to for <laughs> hours, but technology is amazing, but it's also very scary. Mm-hmm. So um, pre-pandemic, we offered these services very successfully, but it was typically kind of those outliers that really mm-hmm. wanted to jump in and try something yeah. new. So we had all of these processes in place. And when the pandemic hit, everything changed. Just kind of clear the table and start over. So we were able to, first of all, our television programming switched. Um, it's always educational. So that didn't change, but we added programming to hit different age groups because it was very important for us, one, that everyone had access to learning um, mm-hmm. when they were out of school, but also because families needed that opportunity. Yeah. Uh, they need a breath. They need something that's structured and then you know, with support materials online for those that could access it. Um, educators could do more. So that is one of the pivots. But the other was just um, all virtual training, which is easy to say and simple to say, but it really takes a redesign of curriculum. So it's a pretty intense process. But what a cool opportunity to go into people's homes. Mm -hmm. Talk about a different learning environment and a different way to engage um, learners from kids to adults. So I will say that's probably my favorite part of all of this is how it's a different type of connection with someone when you get to be in their home with them. It's just a neat opportunity. And one of the things that we changed was our family and community learning. So we have this program. Um, We take a group of, it's a small group, usually six families at a time. And they traditionally would come in and we have these um, different activities and it's a a month-long program. Well, Mm -hmm. we changed it to virtual. And this is hopefully one of the things that I hope never changes because We got to learn with our families in their home, in their environment. We talk about it and practice it, but it's different um, when it's in the home and it makes it so much easier for the entire family to participate. Right. Right. You know, we all have crazy schedules and being able to take any significant amount of time out can be difficult. So um, that's one of those things that needs to stay. It's just mm-hmm. a nice way to interact with people when distance is a concern, especially in our rural com- communities or economically. Sometimes it's challenging with um, a parent that is out of the home working. Mm-hmm. So anyway, that's one of the fabulous things that we have grown accustomed to that I hope stays. And, mm-hmm. and we have to work at it. I think that's my greatest hope. Because we have made so many advances in education and personalized, personalizing our learning and giving students different creative outlets to express what they've learned. And, you know, there's a lot, there's a lot mm-hmm. of advantages there, but it, mm-hmm. it doesn't, it won't just happen. We right. have to be intentional about it to keep it going. 
Yeah, we do. And we also have to be very, very thoughtful about the components that we keep, the components that we choose not to keep, Mm -hmm. and more importantly, the components that we keep and we modify and understand why we've made the choices that we have. So I want to dig into that just a little bit because, you know, One of the things that I was really excited about this conversation today is because, you know, I have had numerous conversations over the last 12 months or so as we've been rolling through the pandemic with a lot of local schools, school districts, and a lot of families. Because we've been um, heavily involved in a statewide listening tour where we've just been really talking with folks about their experiences. And one of the intriguing pieces that has come up On several occasions, um, as we're all very aware, one of the things that came, certainly at least in the the United States, I'll preface it with that, you know, the, the, the lack or the inequities tied to just basic services, Mm -hmm. broadband, internet access was really brought to the forefront. It's a conversation we've been having nationally for, quite frankly, a really long time. And everybody's like, yeah, we should do something about that. Um, And and yet we didn't um, ahead of this, this. But now, you know, there's this massive ramping up that's happening. And as all of that is sort of playing out, one of the things that families found themselves, quite frankly, relying on is the fact that there was some content for those families who couldn't get to the internet. Maybe they had access to television. Maybe they could get themselves um, to a facility or a library or something that managed to stay open in their community, right? And they could sit down and still consume content that was of high quality. And families talked about how comforting that was. How does that make you feel? Yeah, I can think back... Uh, on my own childhood about PBS programming and the characters that impacted my life. Mm-hmm. And that still exists. So you are absolutely right. The uh, quality and the comfort level, especially in a time of trauma, mm-hmm. is can never be uh, valued enough. And I also think uh, because of access to the internet, even if it is not instantaneous because there are touch points or smartphones or there's so much support material for the trauma. I will say that's one of the Mm -hmm. things that we really focused on. So you'll see new programming in your traditional, uh, I say traditional in your, the series that your kids all love. The programming coming out that addresses the specific Uh, needs and uh, topics relevant to the current times. So it's not out of reach and it gives parents a really easy um, kind of model Mm -hmm. to start those conversations and explore some of those kind of hard times. Yeah. Um, Yeah. And and then also the opportunity to move on and have Mm -hmm. some sense of normalcy as well. Right. So that that programming is priceless. And the fact Mm -hmm. that it now is available in so many different formats just makes it that much more accessible. But it is really important to us. I will say accessibility. um, Mm -hmm. We do a lot of grant work Mm -hmm. to bring Mm -hmm. um, all of these services into communities that may not traditionally have access to it. So, yeah, yeah, it is something that that we really work on. 
Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. And I want to, I want to circle back around on something that you said earlier, you know, around what decisions now are being made about what do we keep, Mm -hmm. right? So for in, in addition to new content that we created, new accessibility, you also offered up office hours, you created new support materials, as you've indicated, and content curriculum to go with the programming that either you already had or was new. Mm -hmm. So there was a huge lift, quite frankly. I mean, let's just yeah. be really clear. Your team lifted. And so, yeah. my, so my question, yeah, you know, and we saw that happening all over the planet. When you really start to dig, there was, you yeah. know, it, it was funny because on the one hand, right, when all this first started, everybody started immediately, what do I have that I could transition really quickly because everybody's scrambling, there's a need. And then all of a sudden, we were flooded as educators, yeah. right? As consumers, um, as families with just gads of content. And now we're suddenly struggling with, well, what's good content versus just mm -hmm. something that might be fun, but is it really going to get me what I need? Um, and certainly schools and teachers very overwhelmed, both by the lift that they had to make, but also mm -hmm. then this dearth of content that was coming out. So at the end of the day, we understand that's the ecosystem that we we, we survived through. Mm -hmm. um, and we've come out on the other side. And now we collectively, as a planet, have a lot of decisions to make. So as Amy Palermo, you know, head of, you know, WOSU classroom and that ecosystem, what are the pieces that you find so valuable that you, you cannot let them go? Oh, so, and I know it's kind of a loaded question because there may is, be a lot I of internal it. decisions that haven't been made right, yet. And I right. totally, full no, disclosure, no, no. <laughs> not so, to put you on the spot, but to really ask, how do you decide? Because I, that's the heart of really right. my question, not just yep. the what, but the how, because I'm a classroom teacher facing the same thing and I may or may not have a huge support system around me, right? I may just right. be making do. And yet in my own classroom, I have to make these same decisions. Yep, absolutely. So um, I will tell you, so that I can go over a few things. So sure. educational programming um, stays. That is always on our TV channels. Mm -hmm. uh, and that'll never go away. That's kind of the heart of what we're doing. Right. We have shifted. What we have found is that our early learners are the greatest consumers of that broadcast. So our littles, right? Mm -hmm. That that pre, what, well, say three, four through what, four, five? I would, grade I would level? take the, yeah, grade level, yes. Yeah. Up yeah. through maybe fifth or sixth grade. Yeah. So we have yeah. a lot of content for them mm -hmm. that, well, that's broadcast. It's everywhere digitally too. Right. Um, we have for our older learners, uh, our focus is online and supporting that through streaming. And then we have PBS learning media, which is our, it's our just fabulous database of content. I call it a database. Mm -hmm. You can search for mm -hmm. anything, Sure. Yeah. Um, but it has programming for educators. It's got games for kids. It's got suggestions for parents. It's just a great place to go for that kind of content. We, two programs in particular that we're keeping that I have loved, and I mentioned already our family and community learning. Learning together is at the heart of what we do, and we're forced to do that in the mm -hmm. pandemic, and mm -hmm. it left 
parents um, very stressed, wanting to meet the needs of their kids, but not knowing how. So that focus is not going away. We still, we had, we started a um, newsletter in the pandemic and are continuing that that gives parents ideas, just short, quick little yeah. things that they can do with their kids. And then our family and community learning, we've kind of transitioned that model into several different programs. And one example is our summer camps. So we right. are keeping, we have a fabulous series of summer camps where kids and families with their families um, meet with us virtually uh, for an hour each day for four days and just it's just fun it's just Mm -hmm. pure fun in the home and everyone can participate so that's one of the things that we're keeping the other thing that we're keeping is our virtual professional learning for educators and that's called teacher campus so we partnered with CET, PBS, and SOIDA, and they are organizations in Southwestern Ohio. One of the things that we learned, obviously we need to work together. The more we can work together, the more we can do for our constituents. So um, we built this amazing platform, teachercampus.org, and it's professional development. And it's from Mm -hmm. all sorts of experts. And because we can do self-paced and synchronous courses, and we have more people working together to provide it, and we have educators that are now comfortable learning in that environment, right, um, right. that's something we're going to keep. One of the struggles previously, it is very hard to learn new things in a new environment. Right. Anywhere, anybody, Mm -hmm. any adult, you go somewhere new, you have to get used to the surroundings and the distractions and whoever's in front of you, you've got to find that connection. When you add technology on top of that to a person who isn't used to using it, it becomes a barrier to learning. Mm -hmm. And one fabulous thing that we have done is help lower that barrier to learning with technology. And I'm just thrilled um, because it means I can help more people um, with those resources. So those are my favorite pieces that we will just fight and promote and encourage Mm -hmm. others to continue because it's easy. And Mm -hmm. when you're in a familiar environment, just like in the home or online, it it makes it very beneficial. Yeah, absolutely. It does. And we're hearing a lot of those same things from the educators that we're working with um, very broadly, that those are some of the the resources and the opportunities. And they do feel more comfortable because the learning curve was steep, not for all, but as you and I well know, yeah. um, I originally met Amy for our listeners because of her role in helping educators with technology in particular, right? Mm-hmm. And so um, this is a real thing. Uh, the learning curve for some of these these teachers was steep is not even the word in the midst of the pandemic. You suddenly have no choice and your entire world is upended and it's stressful and it's overwhelming. And, you know, you do need to be able to take that moment and have that pause. So that gets me to my next question, which is a bit loaded, Amy. And Uh -uh. I don't mean to put you on the spot, but I do want to keep this conversation real because this this is the the heart of moving forward. Uh You know, you had these amazing, great successes and these wonderful programs and you learned a lot that you're going to keep. But I have no doubt, knowing you as I do, there were things you learned that you said, "Uh uh-uh you know, we're not going to do it again, or it didn't work, or that was truly, truly not the thing that we we should be doing, or we could be doing, or maybe we could do it better. 
And so without getting into the specifics, because I really didn't want to put you on sure. the spot, but I know you learned some pretty valuable lessons, you and the team, as you you progressed through getting to, oh, again, my question about how oh. you decide, right? Yep. And some of how you decide was uh, really thinking about the things that just didn't work. So share just a little bit with our listeners about a, a lesson or two in that space. Sure. I'll start with saying that's what we do every day mm-hmm. um, of every year. Regardless, uh, we just had a greater learning opportunity yeah. through the pandemic. <laughs> um, we are constantly in search of new techniques and ways of ed- sharing education that mm-hmm. is helpful. I will say, um, the we started off talking about engagement. I'm going to circle yeah. right back to that because even when I was in the classroom, I saw my role as a performer. When I was in front of those kids, if they weren't paying attention to me, that's my problem as the educator. And how mm-hmm. can I change what I'm doing to engage them? So we had lots of lessons with engagement. Um, one of the things we learned very quickly is that... Um, you, uh, these are simple things um, mm-hmm. that are huge in in interacting with someone via distance. You have to have your video on. You have to right. have access to audio. But how you structure curriculum. So you don't need to talk. As right. an instructor, we talk about in education, I'll kind of digress a little bit. In education, we talk about the importance of student involvement in their own learning and mm-hmm. that you can't just talk. You cannot just lecture um, indefinitely to a class. That sage on the stage thing doesn't work. Yes. Yes. (laughs) So you need to keep it well. When you turn on a camera, it's very easy to revert to that because Mm -hmm. you don't have control of the environment that is distant of your um, learners. And so we um, learned how to structure activities and give directions specific enough to trust our participants uh, to engage, to follow those. And Mm -hmm. the other thing that we learned was how to rely, help those people rely on each other, whether it's family sharing things Mm -hmm. that they have learned or asking questions of the group, teachers, um, caregivers, whatever the situation Mm -hmm. is. Um, It is difficult to take a step back and facilitate rather than instruct, I guess I will say. Mm -hmm. But it is a much more powerful learning experience. It's just much harder to do via distance. The other thing, the other thing we learned is you can't do it all. It's really hard Mm -hmm. because there's an opportunity for personalized learning in this environment, but it takes an enormous lift to have all of your resources available and organized and accessible. But on the timetable we're talking about, you can't do it all. So you Mm -hmm. have to prioritize those um, after you're exhausted trying to do it all. (laughs) And you learn how to... You learn how to manage all of those different demands and put realistic expectations on Mm -hmm. you as the expert of whatever topic is going on. So I think those are probably our biggest lessons that we've learned and Mm -hmm. things that we will 
continue to focus on without, uh, you know, you're so hard on yourself when you miss uh, an opportunity or things don't go right. So you have to set realistic expectations too. Yeah, absolutely. Both for yourself and for for your learners, right? Because um, that's the other piece of the conversation here. It's it's not just so much the development and the delivery of the content. It's also how is that content, back to your point, the engagement piece, how is that content received? And how do I, on the fly, in a really difficult space, recognize that I'm not getting... I'm, I'm not getting into the heart of my learners. Um, and what do you do with that? Because that's a really tough thing. As an educator, used to being in a classroom and having that personal connection and being able to visually see all of the body language, right? Not just the, the head that's in a little box, right? How, how, how do educators moving forward manage that? Because the reality is, right, there are lots of families that loved virtual learning. They found that the benefits outweighed um, the, the cons for their particular circumstances, that there were an awful lot of learners that, oh my gosh, I've got to get them full-time back in school. And there's going to be a lot of space in the middle yet to be defined. We don't know what yep. that's going to look like. Mm-hmm. So as as teachers are getting ready, um, in, at least in the Northern Hemisphere, to go back in the fall, and for, and for those who are you know deep in the trenches right now and our Southern Hemisphere listeners, how do you manage that? How do you deal with that so- component? And this is going back to the learning curve too. I like when you bring up not having access to body language and the Mm -hmm. simple chemistry that exists face-to-face. This is where you learn other techniques and using technology and giving your learner the opportunity to communicate. Mm -hmm. So you have, I mean, it's a lift. You have to Mm -hmm. learn, but the nice thing is with these tools like chat, video recordings, different uh, shared documents. Mm -hmm. When you give students different opportunities to communicate, you're going to hit them in a whole new way, which is really beautiful because this, when a student, some students uh, have an opportunity to respond in private, they may say things they would never say in class. And that's an opportunity Traditionally, we wouldn't have. The other thing that you get is um, kind of a opportunity for a new lens with disabilities. So while Mm -hmm. in the classroom, a student that is hard of hearing and does not want to admit it, that they need to be right by you or you walk across the room and now they can't hear you because we're right here. There's a communication that's available to them that wasn't before. Right. So our uh, other example, I mean, there's so many examples mm-hmm. with screen readers, with colored glasses. There's so many ways that that technology helps different learners. So diverse set. So our challenge will be keeping those when we come back face to face. Because it it's is. a real opportunity mm-hmm. that I would hate to miss. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, another simple example is recordings. So if you record right. um, a lecture, a simple five minutes, two minutes, 20 minutes, whatever it is, what an amazing opportunity for that student to be able to go back and listen, to turn on captions so they get mm-hmm. it visually right. and audibly or to adjust the speed to their own comfort and learning level. So these are 
I think that I have digressed. I don't even remember <laughs> um, what you asked me, but there are things that we have learned. I want our kids to have every opportunity. And I hope that these are some of the things that we can keep. So what did you ask me that I really need to answer? I don't know. Even... You you took us there. You took us on a journey. It was part of your story. It was beautiful and wonderful. And, and thank you. I always love to end this program with a question that I asked. You know, it's just recognizing that there are folks out there in the trenches, in the field, trying to do the very best they can on behalf of all the amazing learners, whether they be in a traditional classroom in an informal setting or just out in the community, you know, um, with with families and friends. And so I appreciate it so much, Amy, that you made time to join us today oh, and to be part you. of this conversation about the amazingly wonderful things that are happening in the world of transformative education. So Absolutely. Thank you. thank you. And we just say, keep learning. That's Absolutely. the secret. Just keep learning. Keep learning. Lifelong. That's right. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you for joining us for Learning Unboxed, a conversation about teaching, learning, and the future of work. I want to thank my guests and encourage you all to be part of the conversation. Meet me on social media at Annalise Corbin and join me next time as we stand up, step back, and lean in to reimagine education.